Hello, welcome to another episode of Ladies That UX podcast. I am Madalena Costa, chapter co-leader at Ladies That UX Lisbon, Portugal. If you are an inspiring designer, you definitely don't want to miss this episode as it will be packed with useful tips, so keep listening. Today, we will talk to Frankie Kastenbaum, right? An accomplished senior UX designer with experience working in startups, design agencies, and multiple corporate firms. Aside from her day job, Frankie is also a content creator who produces educational content on Instagram and LinkedIn, so a great follow to have. Her exceptional work as a content creator has earned her recognition from LinkedIn, where she was twice named top voice in design design for 2020 and 2022. Frankie is passionate about supporting the next generation of UX designers, and she is dedicated a significant amount of time for mentoring junior designers. I'm super, super excited to have her on the podcast. Let's meet her. This episode was sponsored by Deploy.me, specialists in recruiting UI UX designers. Welcome to the latest ZUX in English podcast, a friendly, welcoming and collaborative organization of intelligent and curious women who push UX boundaries, develop skills and promote talent supporting each other. Welcome, Frankie. Thank you for being here with us today. Thanks for having me. Super excited to be here and to get into some of these fun questions. Great. So let's dive in. We'd love to start by hearing about how first you got started in design. You have a graphic design background, right? So how did you get into this field and what motivated you to want to transition to UX design? So yeah, you're right. I do have a graphic design background. I ended up going to school for graphic design because for me, really the biggest piece that I fell in love with was this idea of story or problem solving rather and being able to really figure out how to solve problems and figure out how to do that ultimately through different mediums. For me, it originally started through code, but quickly realized my brain does not work that way. And so through some more exploration, I realized that really I could do all of that through design. And that really led me to graphic design or kind of that medium, but ultimately still, I felt like there was something missing. You know, I was able to problem solve through design and do what I wanted, but I didn't confidently feel like I could say, well, I did this design decision because X, Y, Z. You know, I wanted there to be an extra piece that wasn't there and I was not getting that from that industry. And so that's not to say anything poorly about that industry. It's a very important, necessary one. But with that being said, UX ultimately gave me that extra piece where, you know, I could say, well, I did this design decision because I did user tests with XYZ number of users and we saw this, you know, fill in the blanks, whatever is relevant to that specific project. But for me, that's really what kind of got me to transition was seeing how I could really tie in all the pieces that I wanted to see in a career. I would have to say that's really inspiring for you to go from different roles or different working environments and just go with the flow and find what really works with you. And with this, I got really, really curious about your idea to start or to enroll at the General Assembly Bootcamp because that's where you studied, right? So would you recommend bootcamps for our listeners who want to enter this field also? So yes, I will admit it. It's pretty, I make it very clear. I am a bootcamp grad. For me, I enrolled in it because like I said, I wanted to transition into UX and felt like I was still missing some of those pieces specifically on more of the research or the UX side of things rather than kind of the full spectrum of UX and UI. And so for me, it was really of let's go see what other toolkits I can add to my box and figure out to move forward from there. In terms of boot camps as a bootcamp grad myself, obviously I'm a, I think they're important. I think they're helpful. The piece where I think there's maybe some controversy is the fact that, you know, I think a lot of people go in with 
expectations that are not realistic. And I think that's the problem there is that, you know, people go in with the ex- expectation of rather, I'm going to leave the boot camp day after with the next biggest job at, you know, name the next biggest company. And that's just not realistic by any means. And I think that's the problem is that boot camps are great if you go in with the expectation of, you know, this is the first step of learning. I'm just going to get my toolbox to get me settled so that I can then start growing and start this career path as a UX designer. And it's really just that beginning level with that mindset of keep growing, keep learning, keep seeing what's out there. And I think if you go in with that perspective, you're golden. If you don't, then that's where it becomes the conflicting opinions, I guess. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I was a bootcamp grad <laughs> also, so kudos to you. <laughs> I totally agree with you. And now that we have the scenario of how you started, how what get got you to UX, how did you learn a bit more about UX? What did you do after completing the bootcamp? How did you navigate this challenge of finding your first job in the industry? Great question. It's definitely one that, you know, is always being asked. The first thing I did after my bootcamp was I started freelancing. And the reason for this is at least I At that point, my boot camp was all group projects. And it was really helpful because obviously it was a school setting. You were banking off of each other to kind of see what you knew, what you didn't know. And I was lucky that my group specifically, like my cohort, focused on the fact of said, okay, look, there's, you know, limited consequences here in terms of if you mess up. So let's focus on the areas we're each not good at, which I was lucky because it obviously pushed us to do better and learn more. But with that said, you know, like I said, boot camps are the starting point. So I still didn't know everything. And so for me, freelancing was great because it really allowed me to see as a solo designer at that point, you know, what do I still need to focus on? You know, what are the skill sets that maybe I'm not 100% great at yet? And it was a great way to really kind of break away from the group mentality and move forward and see, okay, you know, I'm good at this. I'm all right at this. I need to focus on this type scenario. And that was really helpful. And in terms of kind of the first job piece, I will say that for me, I was lucky GA did a piece where you had a client and that you worked with a client at the end of the project and ultimately I ended up actually working for them um, as my first role. So it was a little less traditional, I would say, than some other first break in stories. But yeah, that's really, I would say that. That's really interesting and great for you. Congrats on that amazing accomplishment. And as we know, also, it's been really tough for many junior UX designers uh, to secure their first job. And especially with the recent waves of tech layoffs, uh, you gave us a sneak peek of how it could go to this side or how it could happen as it happened to you. So the job market can also feel oversaturated and it's not so easy to wonder if there's any still opportunities for aspiring designers. So what is your take on this? And do you think there are still plenty of job opportunities out there for junior designers or just in general, what is your opinion regarding this? Yeah, totally. I think it's a great question. I will say 100%. I do think that there are roles for juniors out there. I will say, I think that UX, and this is, you know, a known fact, UX is still a new industry. It's definitely one that's still being kind of figured out. It's not necessarily so set in stone. And I think that's part of where this mishmash comes in of like, you know, we don't necessarily know what's a quote unquote junior to some extent. And I'll get into that a bit more in a second. But I would say, first off, 100%, I do think that there's still roles. I think that what's in interesting to see it play out is that because the industry is still so new, it's the fact that, you know, a lot of these companies who don't necessarily know what UX is or, you know, they don't have a 
large enough budget to do a full-blown product team or UX team, depending on the scenario, it ends up being something like the fact of, you know, they want to go for quote-unquote senior designers. Because in their head, to them, the higher years of experience you have, ultimately, usually it seems like to them, they think, okay, that means it's a better designer. And by no means do I agree with this. You know, I've kind of proven this myself. But with that being said, I think that generally this seems to be the problem is that, you know, people expect years of experience to correlate to your actual level of experience. And that's not always the case. And so what I would say is, is that, yes, there's still going to be junior roles out there. I 100% stand by that because I do think that more and more companies are realizing the importance of this industry. And so, It's this weird dynamic of like, yes, there's an influx of UX designers, but I also do think there's an influx of UX jobs. So, you know, some point it's got to balance out. I don't know what necessarily, but it will. With that being said, though, also like one of the biggest things I would recommend is saying that if you are looking for a job as a junior designer, you know, many job descriptions are going to probably say we need, you know, one to three years of experience, even though it's a junior role. And I would say is apply. You know, there's no harm in it. Realistically, they don't necessarily always know what they're looking for. I would say what's more important is look at the bullets, see what they're actually looking for in terms of the day-to-day requirements, the actual skill sets. And if it's something that you feel comfortable with that you think you're probably qualified for, then apply anyways. Because at the end of the day, it's kind of arbitrary numbers that they're throwing out there. And so, you know, you're doing yourself a disservice at the end of the day if you don't apply. So I would say, after my long little rant there, junior roles are always going to be there. It's just a matter of somewhat, unfortunately, digging for them. That is great. And it just shows how incredible you are at your job of mentoring aspiring designers. So I will just drop this in. Thank you. And, create, so, and you also create educational content, like I said previously, on LinkedIn and Instagram. So for your work as a tutor for Career Foundry to serving on the advisory board of Adapt your commitment to helping others succeed in this field is truly admirable, if I can say this. It's amazing to see such a strong woman showing that it is possible. So thank you for that as a fellow woman that loves to see it from you and learning from you. So can you tell us what inspired you to become a mentor and share your thoughts on the importance of giving back to the design community? Sure. Well, first off, thank you. I appreciate all of that. It was very sweet. But yeah, in terms of that question, it's kind of a weird story. I basically stumbled into it where basically, as you mentioned, LinkedIn recognized me as a top voice in design in 2020. The first time you mentioned this earlier, and I kind of stumbled into the whole mentoring piece because basically after that, I had a lot of kind of beginner UXers, as I like to call it, reaching out to me and kind of asking, you know, more about the industry, about UX, about kind of my own career path, kind of how I got to where I got in a relatively short period of time considering. And so it ended up being that I ended up having these one-on-one conversations with complete strangers. And honestly, I realized how much I loved it. For me, it was fun. It really kind of got me out of my shell. It got me more comfortable talking to people. And it got me to realize like how much I love talking about this space and realize that, you know, there should be a way that I could do this most likely if I looked at a larger scale. And that's ultimately also at the same time, I kind of realized about ADP List where I was using it as a mentee myself. And I ultimately realized, you know what? Like I want to be on the other side of it. It's already what I'm doing, but this way I could do it at a larger scale. And so that's what ultimately led me to kind of apply to do that and have kind of gone through it that way and then obviously gone into the content side of things as well where that was really meant as a way to like see you know how else can I add 
more to my profile in a weird way. You know, how can I expand what I'm doing in multiple ways in a creative manner as well? Since as a designer, you know, that's always important to me. So that's kind of the nutshell of how I stumbled into all of that, I would say. That's great. Thank you so much for sharing. And it's really interesting to see that when something is right, sometimes we are not even looking. So it was really interesting to see how you flourished. It just made sense to you. So it's amazing to see this. Thank you for sharing. So as you show on your Instagram, you show the importance of standing out as a junior designer. And you also shared a little bit about that now, about your career and how it helped And what is one strategy that you have also recommended is based on the personal branding and how this can help designers and junior designers. So as you have done this quite successfully yourself, do you have any tips for our listeners who might be interested in doing something in the same way or something similar to what you do? Totally, yeah. I do think that having a personal brand is an important piece. And so with that being said, though, I think there's kind of two buckets that you can fall into when creating one. You know, for those designers, for those individuals who have come from kind of more of that background, you know, you can maybe think about this for more of a full-blown kind of personal brand perspective, you know, thinking about all of the different pieces, you know, color, font, and there's a lot more there um, in terms of kind of also like the tone of voice that you want to be using throughout all your materials, you know, going that complete full-blown route is option one. Well, you know, is one option. I don't want to say it's the first option. And then another option for those of you who are listening who aren't necessarily coming from a design background. You know, I don't want to scare you by no means. You have to go bucket number one. Easily, you can go bucket number two. I've suggested this to a number of my mentees and it works just as well. And bucket number two is really thinking about, you know, maybe picking one color or font or typography that you want to use on all your materials and really sticking with that to kind of say, look, like this is my package. This is my brand. Obviously, it's not as full blown as a brand as as, you know, some companies, as some other individuals, but that doesn't matter. The idea is really of thinking about kind of how you can really just button up everything and make it one nice little package. One trick that I have though for kind of thinking about how to do this in a relatively easy manner is asking some friends and family members to describe you in a couple adjectives or a couple words and then make a list of all the words and then say, okay, now I have this list. Let me go and search for the psychology of colors. And for those of you who don't know what this is, it's basically just there's several websites on it and it's a breakdown of the different meanings behind different colors. And it can be interesting to then basically line up the words that were uh, used to kind of describe you and match those up to the actual colors on this website and their meanings and see if maybe you can pull in a color or two that's pulled from those words and really actually represents you as a color. This way, it's not just picking an arbitrary color, although you totally can, but this is a fun way to go a little deeper in a pretty easy way where it's like, all right, like this actually has some relation to me and it's kind of fun. So that's one thing I'd recommend if you want to kind of go a little deeper is, you know, ask for some words and see what they mean in terms of colors. That's great. Thank you so much for sharing. I'm sure everyone will be excited now learning a little bit about color psychology and how they can use in their own brand. So it's really interesting. Thank you again for sharing it and for giving a first step to someone that wants to start this new activity. So now that we know your amazingness in the content creation space and how you do it right now, let's just congratulate you again for another great achievement which is being the top voice on LinkedIn so everyone is dying to know how did you accomplish this I know you spoken a little bit about it earlier but was it a goal of yours or like you kind of said that it was more happening organically but 
can you tell us a little bit more about it? Sure, yeah. It definitely happened organically. I will admit, I kind of think it's a funny story, actually. I had no idea in 2020 that LinkedIn even did this. They had stopped doing it, I believe, for a little bit. So it wasn't something that was like very known of them of theirs that I believe, at least I didn't know. And so actually one day I got an email that basically was like, all right, like you're being like in the top runnings for this. Like, can you answer some questions so that we can move forward with basically, like, I don't want to say your application, but move forward with you as like a potential. And at this point, because I had no idea what this was, and I was honestly just so shocked that at such a early stage of my career, I could be recognized. I basically thought it was spam. I honestly like went through the whole process of like looking at the woman's email, like making sure she actually was correlated to LinkedIn. You know, I definitely went down the route of like, let me do a bit of a Google search on this woman and see how accurate this is. Because I was just so shocked the fact that like I could be recognized so early in my career. And so, you know, like I said, it's a funny story, but yeah, the whole thing was totally organic. I had no idea. And then I just kept posting because I, like I said earlier, I enjoyed doing it. But yeah, it was a nice little shock that I was not aware of. Thank you for sharing your story. Since you had a lot of different experiences and great ones, I'm sure there was also a little bit of negativity in some of your experiences, not, not about particular top voice on LinkedIn, but in general, as in the UX design field, we would love to hear a little bit about something that you didn't expect when you entered the industry or even something that right now, it was surprising for you. Yeah, I think, and let me know if this answers the question, but I think that one thing that really surprised me the most was kind of how open the industry was. You know, as someone who was just starting out, I didn't realize how many people were willing to like actually put in the effort to mentor other people, to give back. And this can be in terms of like one-on-one -on -one mentorship calls or even just like looking at all of the content that is produced, whether it's LinkedIn, Instagram, even Twitter, like any of these platforms or TikTok, I guess, too now for all of the kind of just UX educational content. And it just was amazing to me to see how much was already out there and how much like the space was actually willing to be like, look, like we want to help you, you know? I'm satisfied where I am in my career in terms of like I as in like the larger perspective of someone, but saying that they wanted to get back. And I was just very shocked by that because I wasn't expecting to see such an open industry. A hundred percent. So that was actually mine as well. I'm like, how do they feel so comfortable answering this? Like no gatekeeping at all. Like you got this, you got this. It was, yeah, a hundred percent like the best response to it. Cause yeah, for sure. So You have achieved a lot of impressive accomplishments, and one of them was becoming quickly a senior UX designer in such a short period of time. So we would love to hear about more about this journey and the challenges that you faced in general of this. Can you tell us? <laughs> Sure, I'd be happy to. So yeah, I think for me, like looking back at it, I think the thing that probably kind of helped me the most was the fact that I've been able to see a wide range of topics um, and a wide range of company environments relatively early on in my career. I think that that's kind of allowed me to really grow as a designer specifically because it allows me to really see like how UX is portrayed in a variety of different companies. And you know, at the end of the day, like, yes, like I said, UX is still being kind of fully defined. It's still 
relatively new. And so it's, for me, been really cool to see how a lot of companies see it slightly differently or how kind of it's structured differently at these different companies based on, you know, maybe where it's located in terms of the team, based on maybe the size of it and things like that. And so it's just been, for me, cool to kind of see all of that. And I think that's really what's led me to grow so quickly because I have been able to see, you know, potentially a bit more than maybe some others because of the different opportunities that I've been able to see rather than maybe, you know, having less in a short period of time. I don't know. Stumbling on words now. <laughs> no, but it's it's great. Yes, I totally see what you mean. And yeah, I appreciate you sharing this. I know that it can also be scary for someone starting. So to see your progress and how open you are also to share this with everyone. And it's just great to, to have someone so positively experiencing the industry. Uh, in my perspective, I think it makes it easier to enter because they know it's possible. Not taking any credibility for you. It's a amazing all of your accomplishments it's yours they are all yours but it's great to see that people if they work really hard they can try for more than their mind is at the moment so yeah great so now something about that is talked about so much i think everyone in the world talks about with this it's balancing and how do you balance your demanding role as a senior ux designer with creating educational content and being a content creator on social media we would love to hear about this how do you manage to juggle it all honestly i don't know <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. It's, yeah, it's definitely a lot. I will say when I first created, started, con started creating content, I did not expect to do it in such a full-blown manner. I didn't realize kind of how much would work would go into it. But with that being said, like, I love doing it because it I do find it's a creative medium for me on the side. So like, I love doing it and that's what's led me to keep going. But I think to your, your question here, what's really kind of helping me is the fact of like, I live by schedules. Oh, you know, flat out. And so like I have a calendar that I've created that I'll map content out, you know, months in advance. I'll do it where if I have a random idea, I'll throw it on the calendar or every so often I'll sit down and try and think of, okay, like, you know, what's up and coming? Like, what can I play off of based on my calendar, the events I'm going to, you know, how can I try and map this out a little earlier? And then I'll go back and fill in the blanks, obviously, or I'll move things around here and there. But yeah, the biggest thing for me is mapping it out kind of months in advance. And then what I'll try and do even more so is kind of ideally two weeks before the piece of content is coming out, I will then go in and actually make that content. So for me, the biggest thing is like just staying ahead of the game because that way it's, you know, I can still have the balance of, focusing on my actual day-to-day -day job, the content, and then also, you know, the work-life balance. It gives me time to actually, you know, see friends and family and enjoy life. So, you know, it's definitely a balancing act for sure. I won't deny that, but I think it's, you know, a matter of what works for you and figuring that out. And by no means am I saying you need to go to the extreme that I did, but I think it's, you know, figuring out how to schedule it out is the best way possible. I have to be honest, I have a hundred million questions to ask you, but we are nearing down the, the end of the episode. And as much as I wanted to continue this conversation for hours, I have to go to one before the last question, something I find it it's really powerful because I would like to leave the stage to you to share a final thought or a message 
to the people listening right now? Sure, thank you. I would say is, you know, even though right now the field does potentially feel relatively saturated, I would say, like I said before, like don't be discouraged by that. Like find ways of potentially figuring out how you may be able to stand out, whether that's through, you know, starting a blog, starting to post on LinkedIn. Again, doesn't need to be full-blown content creation uh, consistency, but you know, every two months, something like that. But basically figuring out ways where you can kind of stand out a bit more and not just be your generalized UX designer and go that route. So, you know, and I'm not trying to discourage you that way either, but I'm saying like figure out what is the piece that maybe is going to help you stand out. And that also can be thinking about if you are a career transitioner, you know, What is it in your past career that's going to help you move forward? Is it that you want to work in the same space doing UX for that career or doing for that industry rather? And if so, like, you know, thinking about how you can pull that into your materials, your portfolio, your cover letters, your resume, things like that. So, you know, I would just say is like, think about what makes you you and what makes you unique and use that to your advantage. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing and thank you so much for being here with us today. But for everyone that is listening, and I'm sure they already started looking for you online, but let's give, let's ask the question anyway. For the people listening, where can they find you? Sure. Easiest two places would be LinkedIn under Frankie Kastenbaum and then my Instagram, which is UX by Frankie. Both pretty easy, I'd like to say. But yeah, definitely either of those places. I'm always answering questions and answering DMs there. So feel free to reach out on either of those platforms. Thank you. It's great to know. I want to say huge thank you for everyone listening, for you that shared everything that you shared. I am excited to continue following your journey, as I'm sure everyone else is as well. So I really appreciate your time with us today. Well, thank you. It's been great speaking with you. I really appreciate you having me on here and sharing some insights. So thanks. We ended our chat today with Frankie Kestebaum, an amazing, amazing lady, and we hope you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed it. If you have suggestions, questions, or contributions, please contact us on the website ladiesdatux.com. This episode was produced by Ladies That UX, edited by Domenica Mendes, and sponsored by Deploy.me, specialists in recruiting UI UX designers.